This is episode 64 with JT Barnett. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I am your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal performance coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you the unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you further your life's potential here. Today, I had the chance to sit down with JT Barnett, former professional hockey player who has since gone on to become sort of a serial entrepreneur, so to speak. One of his latest ventures is called Honey House TV. It is a concept where him and a few other creators get together in the health and wellness space and create content out in sunny Los Angeles in a kind of adult TikTok house, so to speak. He is also a newly pumpkin spice latte advocate and connoisseur. We start today's episode actually by breaking down a pumpkin spice latte that him and I got to enjoy from Sidecar out in sunny Los Angeles. So without further ado, please welcome on JT. JT, man, welcome to the Athletic Mindset. Thank you for inviting me into your home and making this happen. I feel like we've been going back and forth trying to... (laughs) It's probably more on me, but I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here and that we can do this and I'm excited to talk. But I say, I'm, we'll dive into all the companies you run and all the things you got going. So I just appreciate the time. But before we go, jump into it, before we go, we gotta. So we're doing this pumpkin spice. I've been going. I've been trying to. Let me actually rewind a little bit. About uh, three weeks ago, I tried a pumpkin spice latte for the first time in my life, and I was so frustrated that I've ne- this never made its way to me before. Where I actually tried it and was uh, and sat with it and was like. This is really good. Now I've made it kind of a little mission of mine to try all of the pumpkin spice lattes in Los Angeles to see what's my favorite. So I've reviewed, I think I've reviewed two now. I'm terrible at reviewing them. I don't know how you review coffee. Uh, I'm learning. And I apparently, we got to start with the lid off here. So apparently to review coffee, you've got to start by, by smelling it and knowing how the aroma is. So um, let's just go right here. Got a little bit of cinnamon there. Definitely some pumpkin, more pumpkin than the one I reviewed yesterday, which was good. Okay. And then you take a sip. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. What are we thinking? So there was, there was about four things that you're supposed to think about. The aroma, the body, which is like how, I think it's how heavy the, it feels in your mouth, the acidity, and then the aftertaste. So good aftertaste. I don't really know how to review the other two yet. <laughs> I'll get better at it. But this is actually good. I like this one a lot. This is Sidecar Donuts, and they're a legendary spot in uh, Los Angeles. And I actually really enjoy this one. I would get this one more, so I'm going to give this one an 8.6, which is on the higher scale of what I've graded. So I'll give this one an 8.6, and I appreciate you bringing it. Of course. I'm picking up hints of you can tell they use similar flavorings in their donuts. Yes. It also helps. Very true. That's actually a really good point. (laughs) Yeah, they do. What is that, though? Is it the cinnamon? Like when you smell, when you smell this, it's when you, it smells like sidecar when you walk in. Yeah. I'd say it's probably the cinnamon that's picking it up. Okay. Well, now we get some pumpkin spice lattes to enjoy while we talk. So this is amazing. I love it. I need to do every intro like this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from pumpkin spice lattes to hockey career, man. Don't you wish that more hockey players were able to enjoy things like this? I think every I'm I'm trying to be the advocate for male pumpkin spice latte drinkers. 
I think that more people need to enjoy them. And I know for a fact that women are thoroughly and they've had a, a long run of enjoying these and I don't think men have. There should be no shame. No, definitely no shame. I love it. How did you get started in hockey? Tell me, where did that begin? I know your father was involved in the sport heavily. Yeah, so I was born in Los Angeles and my dad had actually just moved here from Canada two years prior. He actually moved. He was the the agent of a handful of hockey players. He was Wayne Gretzky's agent and actually moved to Los Angeles when Wayne got traded from Edmonton Oilers to LA. So... I would have been born in Canada. My brothers and my older brother and sister were both born in Canada because of that trade. I was born in California. I became a Cali kid and immediately was put into hockey. Two years old, was on skates, was skating as soon as I was walking. It just became a, a passion of mine. And then being surrounded by all of those players that my dad was representing, the passion for the game was almost instant. I love that. What did you pick up from those guys that you carry with you in your playing career? A lot of the way that I played as a player was was based off of some of the guys my dad represented. Just the way that I would try to make moves, the way that I would try to play my game, the way that I would skate. Like A lot of the ways that I learned even just the, the foundations of skating was from skating with those pros. So the way that my stride looked was similar to a couple of guys that I would skate with in the summers that were just that were pros that my dad would have over at the house. And so I picked up a lot of uh, actual like tactical elements to my game, but also the amount of work that they put into their craft, the camaraderie between all the guys. It was all things that I really enjoyed of the sport and still enjoy to this day. I love it. And I love the tactical stuff. It's applicable. It's actionable. What mindset things did you pick up from them or... When did you start to develop your own mentality? I would say that osmosis, being around them, I learned the, the amount of effort that they put into their craft to be at that level. To be an elite player, there's almost another tier of, of work ethic and of dedication mm-hmm. to the sport than the people that I was around that never ended up making it. And so that was something that was kind of ingrained in me as a young kid. It was just like the work ethic and the hard work that you have to put in to be good at something. And that's something that I still pride myself in today of like really working hard. And then again, like the, the lifestyle of being around 31 guys every day and having to communicate and be a team player and play a role on a team and then be part of a unit is all stuff that now in my business life is transitioning very strongly. I love that. And I think... When you're talking about the mentality stuff and working hard, it's fantastic. As you get older here, you're starting to realize, obviously, the importance of recovery with Reset and all these other companies. When did you start to realize that in your actual playing days? So my mom was a spinning teacher, personal trainer. And so the the importance of taking care of your body was always with me. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much I enjoyed the, the training process until my last three or four years of playing pro. When my, my actual, I would say, business of hockey and my like contracts and stuff were starting to decline and I was on my way out of the sport was when I was like, there's, there's parts of this that I'm really enjoying and I had to develop self-awareness to be like, what in, this, in the game do I really enjoy? And that was when I started to notice I really, really enjoy the training part of it. I love working out with the guys. I love the practices. I love the 
recovery sessions, whether that's the ice bath or sauna or sitting with Normatec, the big pants, legs, things that you put on that compress your legs. I just loved those moments. And so when I stopped playing and retired, I knew that training and recovery was going to be a big component of my life and whatever I did. And so that's what I decided to do when I stopped. And that's what I'm still doing now. I feel like that's the part of the equation so many people miss. I've talked a lot about this on here. Of whenever you stress your body, it promotes rest. You need the rest to get the, the gains, so to speak. And then you need rest to increase the amount of stress that you can hold. It seems that younger athletes just try to push the stress stuff over and over and over again. And I always find from a coaching perspective with getting into, I guess, athletic training and you know performance coaching in that space, it's so tough to navigate that governor on the elite level athlete because they just want to go all the time and it's very hard to slow down. So I think that's awesome that you're still, you're slowing down and you understand that balance. I actually think that it's not just athletes. I think it's most guys, most yeah. like men are wired to just like go, 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 go. And it's, it's almost like not natural to pause and reflect and stop and slow down. And that's the really what recovery is. And that component of it is so crucial. It's like when you're running out of gas, you can't just keep pushing it. Mm. You've got to stop. You've got to refuel to be able to go hard again. And that component of recovery has now become, I would honestly say, more important than my pushing and my training. Because when I am fully recovered, I'm able to go so much harder that I don't need to spend as much time in the stress, in the, in the pushing, because I'm more efficient with the amounts that I'm doing. Yeah. I'm an advocate for training smarter and not harder. 100%. I see we got, we're team whoop here. Yeah. How, what are your thoughts on kind of all the measurables that come out on that? I love them. I think... Are you sponsored by them? I'm, I'm not sponsored by them. I work with them in a, in a capacity of like, I want more people to use them. So I work with them in like a sharing promotional codes to give people discounts and stuff. But I'm not like exclusively working with them in any capacity. I just want to preface that before we dive in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of Whoop. I've been using Whoop for now probably around eight, nine months. I think that there is limitations to data in terms of recovery because in my personal practice, what I've noticed is the emotional component of your recovery, the mood that you're in, the way your mindset is, the way the feelings that are coming up in you, those kind of things to me do play a, a massive role. And I don't think that data is to the point right now where you can quantify your emotions so I think that you can you can measure your heart rate, which is what this does. You measure your heart rate and you can get a lot of things off of that in your breathing. But I think you can't measure when you're feeling... You can't measure on a spectrum feeling sad, feeling good, feeling down, feeling lonely. You can't measure that stuff. I think that that stuff plays a lot into your overall recovery. So I think what they're at, where they're at right now is a massive component of it. And I think when eventually science gets to the point where you can quantify that stuff that additional component into it will lead to what I would consider for myself, the overall recovery. I like that. That's an interesting take. I actually had Hunter McIntyre on yesterday and we talked about Whoop. Legend. He was like, I hate it. I hate the tracking because he was getting too much in his head looking yep. at all the numbers mm -hmm. and stuff. And I told a story of how like 
two days ago and I got off the plane here, like it said 25% recovery. Yep. And if I had let my emotion feed into what I saw in the hard data, I wouldn't have gone out and like really pushed myself, so yep. to speak, but I got up and ran five miles and it was fine. That happened to me today. <laughs> I woke up, I actually got to the point where I stopped looking at it every morning because mm-hmm. if I woke up and felt amazing and looked at it and it said 25, I'd be like, this is going to be, today's going to be tough. <laughs> but then on the vice versa, if I woke up and felt terrible and looked at it and had like a 92, my, I would be like, I feel amazing. So for me, I'm like, I'm going to actually now pause and do my whole day. And then when I'm done with work at around five, I'll look at it and see if the way that I felt throughout the day lined up with it. And a lot of the times it does. I would say that it's pretty accurate. I wouldn't say that it's off. Mm-hmm. I would say that I think there's just a little bit more to the equation that is unmeasurable right now that is probably playing out. Yeah. I like that strategy because I think when you wake up first thing, check it, you're letting it influence your emotions yep. more so than just being in control and, totally. and showing up. Choosing how you respond. Exactly. Yeah. Do you wish you had this kind of technology when you were playing? Yeah. I think any data is good. It's information. So it adds, it can add elements to the equation and can give you feedback if you use it properly and are a slave to the data. And so I think that like in hockey, they're using similar things to the whoop. I mean, they're already, they're, they're using the actual whoop, but they're also using trackers on their equipment that shows the speed that they're skating at, how much they're resting. A lot of them are wearing heart rate monitors while they're playing or while they're practicing. And so I think that all of that stuff is beneficial, but I think it's, Again, it's a, it's a piece, it's, it's a piece of the overall holistic performance. And it's not something that I think people can be driven by or a slave to because I think that it can disrupt the way that the, they're actually able to communicate and feel how the players are doing. I think that's well said. You can't get caught up in the data. Sometimes you just got to go out and play. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I'm a recovery junkie myself. I love just nerding out on different studies and learning more. If you could name your top three, I know you got the ice bath, the infrared sauna in-house. Are those part of your top three recovery modalities? Um, methods? Yeah. I mean, for sure. The ice bath and the sauna are for sure up there. Meditation would be another one. I would say like my, my wellness kind of routine encompasses meditation walking outdoors so like literally just going around walk around the block going on a hike whatever that is just being outdoors and walking workouts sauna ice bath those are probably like the pillars of it i would say sauna and ice bath are newer newer implemented into my life in the last two years that have been more impactful than anything else that i incorporated before meditation would also be up there yeah. But the sauna and ice bath have just been like crazy beneficial. Crazy. I love it. I want to, your infrared sauna, right? Yep. Kind of got not a steam room or anything. I'm both. I'm both. both. I like both. I, I'm infrared sauna because infrared you can have indoors. You can plug yeah. it in. The one we have, you can plug it into a wall rather than the traditional like Finnish sauna or Nordic sauna is like the coals that you pour water on. Yeah. And those ones are harder to keep indoors because it actually heats the rest of the house. And you, then, you don't need that. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> I like the infrared 
you also can sit in it longer. Mm. The, the, the ones that are like hot to touch, it's usually somewhere around the 15 minute window. You're not sitting in there for an hour. Whereas like this sauna, we could, you could sit in it for an hour and you would feel like you're still able to, to function and feel good. So, but I'm not opposed to both. We should have recorded this episode in the, in the sauna. Yeah. No, I'm not thinking about it. We could have. Um, I also want to touch on meditation. Well, obviously, a mutual friend of ours, B. She's the best meditation coach out there. She's great. Free publicity there. She's great. I've, it's really interesting. How, before I go into the science behind it, how have you found meditation has helped you? I think as on that same topic of men or athletes or whatever you want to call it, not being able to sit and pause and reflect and feel mm. emotions. That was something that is something that I think meditation forces you to do in or allows you to do whatever way you want to look at it, but it gets you to, to pause and just be like, okay, no other distractions right now. How am I doing? What's coming up in me? What am I worried about? How's my body feeling? What can I do better? All of that. And so those reflective moments have been pivotal to me understanding what I can improve on, what I, how I'm feeling about certain things, the way I want to make my decisions with business, with my wellness, with my relationships, everything. And so meditation for me has allowed me to learn how to sit with myself mm-hmm. and enjoy it and work with myself in a deeper capacity. It's a scary thing in today's day and age to sit by yourself and alone with your thoughts There's two studies I want to touch on. There was one that showed, basically, they gave two groups and they said you can sit in a room all by yourself with no phone and nothing for 10 minutes and you got a reward. Or you can have your phone and you can be administered electric shocks. And majority of people actually chose the second route. That was what they would prefer instead of sitting alone, no music, no phone for just 10 minutes. It's crazy. I mean, <laughs> that's a wild study. I think, I definitely think that we are growing up more and more with technology being so infused into our day to day that it is harder. I don't know if it's harder like physically, but it's just like, it's not thought of as much to put the phone down and sit with yourself with no phone, no distractions, um, as it maybe would have been when there was no phone and there was, it wasn't as much technology or distractions in that sense i think it would really do the world some help if people did pause more Mm -hmm. and and feel how they're feeling and really learn from a young age how to understand their emotions communicate with other people articulate how they're feeling and work through stuff so yeah i love that how how do you juggle the influencer life between yourself and sam like you guys have a very large following you ever feel the pressure to be sharing everything versus just enjoying the moment with one another. How do you balance those two? The way that I think you're, you're asking is like, if we're in a situation and we're both, do we feel like we need to post it, post food, post whatever, rather than enjoy the moment with us? I think that's something that at the beginning of us, of being like quote unquote influencers or people that are just sharing a lot on social media, it's, there's a learning curve there. So like, it is obviously not natural to, at least, you know, five, six years ago when Instagram was, was newer, it's not natural to like just sit down and be like, I need to take pictures of my food. Now it is more. Now it's more of a thing. Yeah. So now it doesn't even phase me when we're sitting and Sam's got to post something and then either talking to the camera or whatever, share what she's linked something that she's using. 
But if, you know, it's communication. So if we're somewhere and it's like me and Sam haven't felt like we've been super on the same page or connected and it's like, we need time together. We'll be like, Hey, let's not, let's just be here with, with us. Let's not, let's not be on our phones. Let's just like really enjoy this time together. Or we'll be like, Hey, I have to post this food. For example, I need to take a picture of this, this meal. As soon as I'm done, you have my full attention. I'm sorry. I got to do it. And then they would do her thing or I do my thing and then we move on. But it's communication and it's just a bit of a learning period. I love that. Cause I think it's, it's definitely challenging as you get into the space and like your presence on these platforms is also your business. Yep. And it's like hard to disconnect the two. I think you guys do a good job of the boundaries. And so, is, you know, I would say that it's, it's, and maybe not black and white, but I would say that a lot of the times it's maybe an insecurity thing of like, if Sam's posting something and I'm not, and she's sharing it with her followers, I'm like, like, do you think you like, it's almost like a, my, my mind goes like, am I not good enough for you in this moment? You got to talk about it with them. And then I, and then that's where it's like, you know, I think when I'm feeling great and I'm, and me and Sam were communicating and stuff, I'm like, I don't she wants to take a picture. It's a picture. Like, cool. Let her do it. Let her do her thing. Whatever. I think that there's, again, there's a learning period there of like working with yourself and being like, why does her either talking to a camera or taking photos or ever bother me? And then that's stuff that I need to work on. That's not something that she's doing. That's wrong. It's something that I need to work on in myself. Some mature answers right there. Thanks. That's a high level thinking, man. Thank you. It's, um, and tying it back into the meditation conversation. The other study I wanted to touch on was, People that consistently meditate and not just like every once in a while, it's like the Mm -hmm. daily practice of theirs have been shown instead of when they make emotional, a lot of us, when we are given stress and stimuli, we make emotional decisions from our amygdala, Mm -hmm. a very basic area of our brain. Those who meditate actually respond from a, a more evolved area of our brain. They, it builds gray matter and I'm blanking on the actual structure of the brain that that comes from, Mm -hmm. but the practice itself is quite literally physiologically changing the way that we are able to respond. Do you find yourself more emotionally fit with the practice of meditation? Fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Like I would say that all bro, I'm not joking. I would say all of the things that I'm doing, training, ice, sauna, meditating, working out, all of that is to better handle stressful emotions more than stressful things that I can think my way through. Mm-hmm. It's feelings. It's feelings that people have a problem with that are more, that are challenging. And that's where people start to overthink is because they're dealing with feelings that they're not able to feel. And so the ice bath is a perfect example. When you go, when you jump into the ice bath, your body's going into fight or flight because it's feeling so cold that it's mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is going on? And so then immediately you start to like try to think your way through it. I got this. And like sitting with that, sitting with those feelings and like breathing through them and being like, I got this. This is just a feeling of like my body's feeling tense right now. Or this is the feeling of stress or this, whatever it is. The feeling of sadness is a feeling of anger. Sitting with your feelings is something that I feel is so under spoken about and under appreciated. I really feel like my whole training regiment is dedicated to adapting and and being able to feel my feelings on a deeper level because I just move so much faster when I do. 
I love that. And I like how you brought up breath work in there too, or like controlling your breath to yep. control these emotions. Ice bath is a perfect example. Yep. Do you practice Wim Hof breathing? Yeah. Okay. That's what uh, I figured. <laughs> I started doing, so Wim Hof, I, like maybe two, three years ago, I tried it like twice. I was like, all right. I wasn't really into meditation at the time. I was like, okay, this is cool, but not something I'll use on a day to day. Then now Sam was trying it like six months ago for the first time. And I was like, you do Wim Hof? She was like, I'm trying it. I was like, cool. I'll try it too. And I tried it and I had been meditating at that time for about like two years consistently. Mm-hmm. And when I tried Wim Hof, which was, which is a meditation, yeah. like Wim Hof's, the, the guided ones on YouTube, I would consider those meditations still. It's just a different style of breathing. But when I tried it, I was like, damn, like this made me feel amazing. And so now I do it every other day. I do Wim Hof. And then when I'm not doing Wim Hof, I do more of a relaxed meditation that lets me chill. Wim Hof makes me feel more energized. Yeah. I'll do that on the days where I'm working out in the morning. And then the other days I'll do more of like a chill. Like, let's just see how we're feeling. Check in. I love how when you, you touch on the breath stuff, it can be either. It can be total relaxation. It can be energizing. Do you wish you kind of had breath work to some extent during the playing days? Yes. Bro, if I would have had this, all the wellness stuff that I was doing, that I'm doing now in the self-awareness and the understanding of mm-hmm. what I'm going through and myself and all that shit, when I was playing, I would have been in a much different place. I probably would have left the sport even earlier also though, <laughs> but the success I would have had would have been much higher level than what it was. I think... Breathwork is another thing that allows you to shift gears. So when you're, when you're operating, when you're like going throughout your day, if you're feeling like super tense and anxious and like you're like, go, 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 and you can't settle down, mm. it's like doing some sort of a meditation, which is the same as breathwork. Doing something like that can really help you to like bring yourself down to like more of a chill, like, okay, I got this. And then on this opposite end of the spectrum, if you're feeling like really lethargic where you like, you feel super lazy. You're like, I'm not motivated to do anything. I don't want to get up today. I don't want to leave the couch. I just want to chill. Doing something like Wim Hof can get you moving up those gears, can get you being like, all right, let's fucking go. Let's take the day on. I'm going to do some stuff today. I'm going to get shit done. So breath work would be something that I would, that I think teams are starting to implement more, mm-hmm. but I would double down on that. It's about saying it doesn't cost you $5 for a pumpkin spice latte. Totally. It's a little bit more accessible. Hundred, and you can take it with you anywhere. And dude, it's just man, it's great. It's great stuff. You touched on transition into hockey. There, what was that like for you? And was there anything that you know now that you could go back and tell younger you, like, hey, this is going to happen when you don't play anymore? It was super challenging for me. I was prepared for it in the sense that I chose it. Mm-hmm. I knew it was coming. I want. I was. It, I went through a tumultuous two years where I went from playing at a super high level where I thought I should be at to rejection, rejection from team to being like, okay, now I'm not going to play anymore. And the challenge through that was, was hard. was like, damn, okay, we're done now. Going to therapy really helped. Having people surrounding me really helped, like having a community of people and friends and stuff like that. And then also knowing what I wanted to do post-career was was something that really helped me as well because I was driven towards something. And for me, that was social media and creating content and doing creative works. And I had been planning that for a couple of years already, knowing that that was what I wanted to do. But it was still super challenging as with any end to what I would consider a relationship. Shit's hard. Like you, yeah. I play, you play for so long and it's your life that like when it's done, it's like, 
it's a it's a fucking massive change of lifestyle. So what was the second part of the question? What's something that you would you know now? Yeah, that you would go back and tell. I would I would be I would go back to my 19 year old self that was that was posting content every other four or five days because I was dealing with the team and the players and stuff giving me shit for it, and I wasn't at the point where I was confident enough to know that me posting content and documenting on my life would have set me up in a much stronger position being done mm-hmm. with hockey. I would go back and be like, bro, don't listen to these guys. These guys don't know what they're talking about. They're in a bubble of conservatism, whatever. They're just, they're very, they're very old school. They're not in touch with social media and where trends are going. So put everything out there, document what you're doing, show people what you're about because you have people that care about you, that you're an athlete right now that won't immediately when you're not an athlete anymore. So start getting them involved with you as a person because when you retire that's something that you take with you like a personal brand that you build that's some shit that like nobody can take from you they can take your contract they can take that jersey away from you and that happens but they can't take that that personal brand that you build in tandem with you being a player and that's what i would tell myself and that's huge and especially during that time i mean now i feel like sharing content and especially with where you're at normalized right a little bit more so back then i would imagine people are looking at you funny <laughs> you pull out your phone i would get in trouble talking to it i would get in trouble for it It wasn't as much the selfie like talking to camera stuff yeah. it was more like i had a tumblr i was t- tweeting at night like like when i was at home at night we would and i was posting on instagram and just it wasn't that i was posting anything bad it was just that teams were coming from the perspective of if players are showing stuff we have the opportunity of them to show something that we don't want them to show, which it, it, like, you know, inside operations, things about yeah. the team, talking about a guy getting hurt, talking about what updates on injuries, whatever that could make our team look bad. And we don't want to take the chance of that. So it's better for us not to have anybody post anything. So that's where I would be. I would get in trouble with teams. And I think that that's something that in the sports that are thriving right now have flipped that and are like, we want our guys sharing. We want yeah. a team videographer there at every moment. It's cool to see that shift towards personal branding. And you were obviously forward thinking in building a personal brand. You've done a very phenomenal job with it. Triple D, is that an extension, obviously, of your personal brand? But now, under my understanding of it, you help other people build their personal brands as well, correct? Yeah, so Triple D is the Gen Z hockey media brand that is specifically for the next generation. Mm. What we do at Triple D is we highlight and showcase the the next stars of the NHL. So guys that are getting drafted in the first round this year, guys that are uh, that got drafted in the last couple of years but are on the brink of the NHL or all the way up until like first, second year NHL guys. Mm. And what we do is we want to showcase and document what they do in their lives leading up to the NHL and help them in tandem build their own brands. The same way that overtime has done for basketball players like yeah. Zion and Trey Young, I believe the name is. Hockey has not historically been a sport that is creating content around its players and marketing them. And I want to do that with players that already have an affinity to social media. And that is not players older than me because I think the the generation older than me, along with a lot of the guys my age, didn't come up with content creators and YouTubers and stuff being yeah. cool. 
Uh, so the guys that are my age, when I, uh, when uh, in conversation with them, they don't have as much of an interest as guys that are younger, college, high school, those kids are growing up. They're like in this, in parallel with them wanting to be a pro athlete. They want to be a YouTuber. So helping them start helping acting as like a shield for them and being like, not only is this a good thing for you, but we want to help you document your life in post. We want the, to push the league and the, the sport further along by doing that with the next guys that are going to be dope in four or five years. I love that. And I think the two really work well in tandem. Like you said earlier, like when you're playing, more eyeballs are on you, more people care about you mm-hmm. than when you step away. So it's smart to capitalize on that more eyeballs, that more exposure. That the, yeah, the, the crest that you have on the front of your jersey adds a lot to the interest that the public has of you. Mm-hmm. So even if it's a lower level junior team like the NAHL or the USHL, which are leagues in the US for 16 to 20 year olds, just by representing that logo, you have a, a certain audience that cares about you and what you're doing. And so if while you do have that opportunity, sharing as much as you can will get people to care about you the person behind that logo mm-hmm. for when you no longer are part of it. And it's just, you know, JT Barnett, no longer JT Barnett on the red army team or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can just build an audience that way. And so I think players need to take advantage of that. Yeah. And I think there's this big push more than an athlete. Obviously you got here, you got LeBron James pushing that, you know, narrative and it's, it's true, but you have to document it. You have to be present to show it other personal brand. We can't not talk Honey House. Yeah. Where did that come from? It was originally your idea or was it Nick's idea? It was both. So Honey House is our adult TikTok house, as now it's being called by E! News <laughs> and other people. Uh, the first adult TikTok house that myself and one of my close friends, Nick Dio, started. The way it started was just we were both quarantining. He was in New York. I was in Los Angeles. We had both been posting on TikTok Nick had a video that went viral and got 20 million views in a, in a week, which was just unheard of. His profile went from zero to around 100,000 in a day or in a week's time. So we were just like, wow, this growth on the, the explosiveness of TikTok is insane right now. At the same time, Nick and I were having conversations because Nick's a, a mentor to me in a lot of ways. And so I was talking to him about my vlog that I had started and I was like, Bro, I, I absolutely love doing vlogs. This is my favorite thing to do. But I, I, I want more people in them. Like I want, it sucks because I'm in quarantine right now and I want to have like a squad that's around me. He was like, dude, we just need to get a bunch of people living in one house and we film everything together. And we do it. And it's a bunch of people doing cool stuff that are good people and we film it. And we were like, let's do it as a reality show. Then we were, and then we went through those conversations. We were like, all right, let's not actually do it as a reality show because we don't want a lot of drama. Yeah. But let's do it as like a, a series or some sort of a show where we're just documenting everybody that's on the same page in the house, like cool people that are, that mean well, that care about each other and are doing something along the similar lines. And let's actually do it on TikTok because now we've seen that the growth there is, is tremendous. And then that was how it started. And it blew up. <laughs> it went well. That's not to say. It went well. One month, you guys got up to what? Half a million yep. followers or so? 500,000 in a month. Yep. Just okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was a process too. Like the first couple of weeks, we were just throwing stuff at yeah. the wall, just trying a handful of different things. And the, the vertical is always health and wellness. So it's all 
all uh, everything that we were thinking was how to make people better and physically how to make them feel better mentally mm. and how can we bring some like lighthearted uplifting energy to the world right now when things are stressful and challenging for a lot of people yeah i think you guys did a tremendous job one with sticking to that mission and vision through the content and it really showed through it was authentic and i think with your collection of people you guys did a phenomenal job with yeah, you know, I'm friends with most of them that you uh, put Good together people. in there, but they're they are great people. It's you know, something that in the interview with the News, I was saying that I'm super pumped and proud of is that we had a group of people that was not only like did we absolutely demolish it in the work sense mm. from a content output and from like growing the platform, but like the cohesiveness in the house and the like the vibes of the house was anybody that that came over or that saw us or that we were in conversations with was like damn, you guys actually like seem like there's no drama here. You guys are like making family dinners together. You guys are like really seem you're doing group workouts, meditating together. Like it just it seems like it's a house that would be really an enjoyable place to be. Yeah. And so that's something that I walked away with it being like, that's, that's hard to create. And we were fortunate enough to do that. I'm glad you didn't go to the reality TV show yeah. <laughs> route of things there. Cause I think that's what comes up with that. It makes for entertaining, you yeah. know, viewership i guess but like the way you guys did it it makes it more of a lasting brand Mm -hmm. it's more your audience is going to feel deeper connection to what it is you guys are putting out there rather than real housewives or whatever else that is out there and that's what we that's what we wanted to do and like i think of any sort of any sort of social media platform it's a relationship between you and your audience and i think the, the relationship that we were trying to develop is one that is rooted in positivity and kindness and empathy and like caring for one another. And so us doing a reality show that was drama filled would not <laughs> translate well into those values. And so we were very cognizant of like, who can we bring into this house that first and foremost is amazing vibes has only good things said about them by their friends and yeah. colleagues and stuff. And then secondly, is in the same market as us, like health and wellness and like creating content and all of that. I love that. How's season two shaping up here? Uh, this won't be released before season two. That's happens, okay. But season two, <laughs> season two is shaping up very nicely. So we're in LA for one more season here. We're about to start. It's been, we have some more content that's coming out and we're really excited to go very hard into other platforms like YouTube and Instagram and podcasts that we didn't do in season one. And now we got full-time content creators that are living in the house that'll be helping us with additional content. So just really trying to expand off of the the growth that we had on TikTok into a more of a holistic brand of Honey House across all platforms. I love it. What do you envision that turning into? In what way? Long-term goals. Is it going to be just these two seasons is nope. that going to be like so we a, want to our, our, we want to crank out at least four or five seasons before we really re- reevaluate we think that we're setting ourselves up nicely for some sort of linear commerce where people can come to our page and see if we are in the health and wellness vertical the brands that we're using mm-hmm. the the modalities that we're doing the different types of practices that we're implementing into the house and i think that in this next season you'll get to see the the people in the house on a little bit of a deeper level with things like the vlog, 
with things like the, the raw honey, which is the segment we're going to do where it's kind of a couples therapy where you're sitting down and having a challenging conversation on camera. Yeah. Just teaching people overall how they can optimally perform and feel, I think will translate into some cool projects. So I say all really cool things. I'm just happy to steal some of your time before you get started in here. Of course, bro. JT, I just want to say I appreciate you. I want to acknowledge you for the way you show up. It's I've seen it through your content, but now sitting down with you and hearing you actually speak, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. How can those listening in support you and follow what you got going on? Thank you, bro. I really appreciate you saying that. Everything for me is at JT Barnett. Uh, so my Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of that is just JT Barnett with two T's, B-A-R-N-A-T-T. And then Triple Deke that we spoke about is Triple and then D-E-K-E on Instagram and TikTok. And then the, the last thing is would love for you guys to check out Honey House on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. All of them are going to be just at Honey House and would really appreciate if anybody listened to this and want to send me a message, happy to hear from you. I love it. I'm going to bring it full circle for you, actually. Okay. A client of mine that I work with on the mindset side of things is a young hockey player. No way. His name's Luke Sullivan. And I was like, Luke, I quite frankly, I don't know too much about hockey. <laughs> so I just quick, like Instagram, like hockey, whatever. And yeah. It came up like a year ago. Wow. And I was like, watch some of your content. I was like, all right, cool. This guy, this guy, JT, seems to know what he's talking about crazy. with your hockey training. So I shared your profile with him, and it's been cool, one, to see your journey since then. And I know the impact that you've had on Luke's life has been a pretty positive one. So thank you again for that. Thanks, bro. <laughs> and thank you, Luke. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with JT. One of my biggest takeaways from him was just, again, not letting outside influences impact the way that you decide to live your life or run your business. He is a pioneer in the space of personal branding, and I think he's really ahead of the wave and ahead of the curve here in the whole social space. So I highly, highly encourage you to take his advice and and catch that wave now before it becomes too big here. If you haven't done so already, I highly encourage you to share this episode with a friend, a family member, or teammate who could use a boost. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following me on Instagram at Corey Camp. And remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.